Hey, welcome to the Highland Church of Christ podcast. My name is Matt Pinson, and this is David Sessions, who's I, with me. Was I supposed to say it? In this? I thought you were going to hop in there okay, and say, sorry. and I'm David Sessions. We, I think it's important for people to know that we're still working out our... Um, yeah, we're our, figuring out the format. <laughs> our online relationship, our on-microphone relationship. Yeah. We enjoy each other's company in the office. We, we, I would say, I, Matt, I'd say we're coworkers and friends. But, uh, but when you put a, I'm, I'm learning when you put a microphone between us, it uh, changes the dynamic a little bit. Just when you're recording this and thinking, oh, some other people might listen to it. Yeah. It just turns the filter up a little bit. Turns the filter up a little bit. And maybe sometimes that's a good thing. Sure. People listening to it might be like, the filter's out. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but then other times, we're, I, I think I'm, this is harder than I thought it was going to be, is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. So anyway, what we're going to talk about today, Dave? We're going to talk about um, something that has really interests both of us. We, you, you and I talk about this around the office just because it's something that interests mm-hmm. us. And it has gotten a lot of uh, positive and negative attention on the internets lately. Sure. And that is the the term deconstruction. Yeah. Um, a certain um, famous, more famous than us, um, minister, pastor in Texas became Twitter, I would say Twitter infamous like recently because uh, they kind of spoke about deconstruction pretty negatively and kind of talked about it as kind of this like sexy, cool thing to do, but ultimately it's a, a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest in that I am saying that after watching a 20 second clip of a sermon that probably had more context in it than, probably. than I'm knowing. But yeah. I haven't listened to it either. Yeah. We don't do homework. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're both fans of deconstruction. Yeah. Um, and... I don't know if fans is the right word, but we both see deconstruction as something that is necessary to a real faith. Yeah. I would say, you know, if we don't want to use the, like, it's not trendy because something that is this old can't be trendy. We can maybe call it like an ancient future type of thing, but you can't read the gospels and not see Jesus doing some deconstruction in his lessons. I mean, you have heard it said this. I say this. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, his very first message in Luke, when he goes to his hometown, um, at first they love him and then they're ready to throw him off the uh, top of the cliff because he, his message was deconstructing their faith that mm-hmm. was overly um, nationalistic, frankly. Yeah. He, he said that um, the kingdom of God has come near to people that aren't Jewish and that, that's what enraged them. Not just Jesus, uh, Martin Luther was a deconstructionist, mm-hmm. um, Martin Luther King Jr., but also Martin Luther of the uh, um, 95 Theses, uh, he saw the abuses happening in the church and said, this isn't what God wants, yeah. and uh, started the uh, Reformation. Um, even in our own tradition, um, you know, our, uh, the, uh, the Restoration tradition, the Stone Campbell tradition is trying to deconstruct some faith structures. Yeah. Some things that have been handed to them. Some things that have been handed to them and get back to what they would say the pure faith. Right. And that is just the same song, different verse of what's happening today. And I'll add one more group of people that are deconstructionists. And I'll say teenagers raised in church. Yeah. Um, whenever a teenager says, hey, I don't know that I believe everything my parents believe, my first response is good. 
Yeah. Because I, I know this can like I've met your parents. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Uh, no, Highland's parents are great, but that can make parents anxious when they hear that. Sure. I, I, I could see myself getting anxious to that with my kids, but they have to move from inherited faith to own faith. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to do some deconstruction of some of the faith that you've been told. I've also known a lot of kids raised in church that think they're deconstructing what their parents believe. And their parents are like, I don't know that I ever believed that either myself. And right. some parents are like, man, yeah, keep going. This is really good. You're digging and that's good. And um, I, I always want to say that if if whatever you're building back is centered around Jesus, you're doing it well. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so teenagers, they have to, it's a necessary, normal, healthy yeah. part of good faith formation. Right. I think I was, I think I was well into my twenties before I started that process, that yeah. very necessary process. Um, and part, I, you know, I think I was raised in a fairly healthy church. Yeah. Uh, partly because I'd had never had any reason. Everything seemed to go great mm-hmm. <laughs> for, yeah. for the people that I cared about. Yeah. So there was never any like, Oh, this isn't working. Right. Um, but it wasn't until I was well into my twenties and kind of to a place in my life where I was like, Oh, this is where everything has been leading. And I don't, I don't know what life is about, mm-hmm. uh, that I started going, started really thinking about my own faith that wasn't, you know, and how is it different than, yeah than what I was handed. And that, that's, I'm glad you said that because when I think about, you know, us on here saying how normal and healthy and necessary it is, mm-hmm. and some churches talking about it as though it were like lack of faithfulness or even sinfulness. Yeah. That is the last thing somebody needs to hear right. when the foundations of reality are being shaken underneath you. Yeah. So I really want to be a part of a church that is compassionate in deconstruction mm-hmm. because it's troubling. Yeah. It's a hard time. Yeah. And, uh, and to make somebody think that it's not somehow strengthening your faith in the same way that like lifting weights is strengthening your body by tearing apart your muscles. Right. Uh, you've got to break them down and they, they build back stronger. Um, that's, that's what deconstruction is. It's the metaphor, the scriptural metaphor is Jacob wrestling with the angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's going to hurt. You might walk with a limp for the rest of your life, but if you hold on, it's always comes with a blessing. Yeah. And, um, we just, you and I, we we want this to be a space where we can bring Highland people in and and patiently, compassionately talk about um, what's being taken apart, what yeah. we don't believe in anymore. Right. As a way of building back our faith in Jesus even stronger. Yeah. I think undoubtedly, though, as we look at uh, deconstruction on our timelines and in yeah. our personal, you know, in our personal lives that probably the deconstruction that we went through deconstruction series seasons of reconstruction we went through years ago. Yeah. Is, is feels different than what we're seeing on the internet today. How would you describe that? Well, you know, I think, I think it would be naive to think that there hasn't been some deconstruction that have grown out of the cross between 
the church at large in America mm-hmm. and politics in the last four to five years. Um, Undeniable. And uh, I, I think a lot of the deconstruction that I went through was like, is God for me? Mm-hmm. And does is God there? And does God care about me? And God can hold up to that scrutiny. Yes. Uh, and I think a lot of the deconstruction that we're seeing today is not asking that question. It's asking, who is the church? And is the church for real? And are these people for real? And do they believe what they say they believe? And sometimes the church can't hold up to that scrutiny. Yeah. Sometimes I'll admit that that's like scary because I work at a church. I support my family by working at sure. a church. And if we're looking at the churches, the end of the churches, we know it. If that's some um, year on the horizon from now, that can like cause anxiety in me. Yeah. But also what I want to come back and say to the people who are critical of people who are critical of church is um, being critical is one way of being loving. Yeah. And it is so much healthier to love a church and long for it to be more in the image of Christ yeah. than to just throw up your hands and say, well, they're never going right. to, you know, they're always just going to be hateful yeah. bigots, uh, hypocrites, and I'm, I'm going to be done with them. Uh, I, I want to go to church with people that have uh, as profound of questions as I feel like I have. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like I see two kinds of people going through deconstruction. One of them is that second one you mentioned, like, a. I'm done with this. I'm washing my hands of it. Yeah. I'm out, you know. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. And uh, and some of it is I love the church. Yeah. I want to follow Jesus. And these two things don't feel like they go together right now. Okay, yeah. Uh, and in those ways, yeah, do the work. Cause yeah. Please don't leave. We right. need you to help right. us form the next generation of what church is. Absolutely. It's the only way systems change mm-hmm. is is working through the difficult things. Um, disrupting homeostasis, building a new homeostasis, living in that one for a while, and then disrupting it again. Yeah. And I want to go back. I don't want to be critical of people that are hurt and then needing some space from the church because... Uh, there may not be a single institution in the history of the world that has hurt more people than the church. Yeah. And hurt's real. Sometimes, I don't know who said it, but uh, cynicism is uh, pain masquerading as wisdom. Mm-hmm. I do think it's important in this conversation to differentiate between people who are being critical, constructively critical, and people who are cynical. Yeah. And again, I don't want to rag on cynical people. It's probably coming from a place of really legitimate hurt. Sure. Um, I just feel like i that's a different response. If someone's cynical because they're hurt, I want to be compassionately present in one yeah. way. If somebody's constructing the church because it doesn't look enough like Jesus, I want to be compassionately responsive in another way. Yeah. And that might be a good thing to keep in mind as we watch our young people go through some seasons of deconstruction, as we watch our yeah. friends and our our loved ones go through is that sometimes that is coming from pain. Yeah. Sometimes it's coming from a desire for us to do better. Yeah. And all of those, all of those entryways into deconstruction shouldn't be met with anger or worry. It should be met with, uh, love and encouragement. And, um, and it brings me back to what you 
talked about on uh, one of our other episodes. I can't remember if it was the first one. One of the ones that we or raised. One of the ones we deleted. <laughs> but Randy Harris's quote, yeah. the kingdom of God is never in trouble. Yep. And, uh, and I think that's so important for us to remember. Yeah. And that, our, and that the fact that God loves us is never at risk. Boy, those two statements can just be a place where I like sit down and dwell when I'm feeling anxious about other things. The kingdom of God is never in trouble and I am never at risk of being unloved by God. Like I can just find calm in a, in a lot of yeah. stormy, stormy anxiety just by kind of meditating on those two things. Cause those two things don't change regardless of how effectively the church submits to the will of God. Yeah. Um, you said something I also want to, piggyback on and then we're i think we're going to pivot um uh you said oh uh, again i'm this is going to be a habit but i remember quotes sometimes better than i remember the people who say them here's a quote uh i i i could track down who said it but protestants have a tendency to devour their young and i would kind of put us in that category of protestants of we teach young people to read the bible critically we teach them how to think about the bible they know the story of jesus well mm. But then when they come of age and start thinking about it on their own terms and asking really tough questions, we say, no, 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 be quiet, fall in line. Yeah. Don't ask those questions. You're being unfaithful. Right. We taught you to ask. We taught you how to ask critical questions. And then when you started asking questions that we couldn't answer, we told you to shut up and get in line. Which is a great way to create people faking Christianity. It's a great way to create uh, angry agnostics, yeah. right? And um, it's a great way to really... Uh, have a young person say, well, you don't think you really meant anything that you ever said. Yeah. And so you and I, we've got, we've got the blessing, the privilege, the responsibility of hosting this space. I, I think we're committing to the ethic of whenever someone's on here and they're in any kind of area of deconstruction, asking critical questions, God's big enough for the questions. You and I don't have to defend God. Mm -hmm. And uh, the kingdom of God is never in trouble and God's love for us, the person we're interviewing, and everyone else that we're talking about is never in question. Yeah, And that's going to be just kind of a, a bedrock that we um, find a lot of comfort and grace in yeah. um, as we have hard conversations. Right. Okay, Matt. So you know, I've said this to you before. I'm going to say it as clearly as I can. Um, no one is ever just deconstructing. Right. Even if you're blind to it, you are always reconstructing something in its place. And so if deconstruction is tearing down the mental models of faith that we were given, mm -hmm. um, it's not like a house where you, if you tear it down, it's lying there until you build it back. Mental models are always um, simultaneously reconstructed. Even if you say, I don't believe in anything and this is all just random, that is a belief. Yeah. So you're, you're always building something back at the same time. So I'm interested, I'm really interested in what people no longer believe. Yeah. I'm far more interested in what have you experienced about God that won't let you go? Where do we go from here? Yeah. yeah. Have you had, so Jesus' sermon repeatedly was extremely short. The mm -hmm. kingdom of God is near. Yeah. How have you experienced the kingdom of God in profound ways that won't let you go? How are you building something back based on that? Yeah. That is really, really interesting to me. I want to lean in when someone starts telling that story. Right. Okay, so do we wanna do we wanna go first? 
Sure. Um, Practice some vulnerability. Oh, boy. Favorite thing. Okay, Matt. So uh, do you want to go first? Are we, we're going to have two questions that are going to be kind of our primary questions. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go, go first? first. Okay, I'm going to ask you, even though you know that they're coming. Okay. Okay. Uh, Matt, what is a part of your faith that you are uh, intentionally taking away? Yeah. Um, I, I think a big realization for me was that uh, grown-ups uh, are just people. Hmm. And as I was growing up, that the things that I were handed might not be right. And that it's okay to think about that. And the other thing that maybe is building, help part of the building back process is that there may be times that the, that the, the church wasn't right about something and that it might be okay. Yeah. That you know, one to say it, to point it out and one that it was that way, you know, people are doing their best (laughs) and the hellfire is not going to rain down from the sky. Not going to rain down from the sky. If what? If we get an answer wrong. Oh, okay. So what sounds like what was really important in your inherited faith was that authority figures had the right answers. Yeah, and you'll be shocked to learn that I grew up in the Church of Christ, <laughs> and yeah. and that answers were important. Yeah, and uh, and what your answer was was a big deal as far as mm-hmm. where you might spend eternity. Okay, so so what's happening in our heads? Yeah, I feel like I've just released that valve a little bit, taking okay. that pressure off. Okay, okay. So the belief is what. What's happening in our heads mm-hmm. is our eternal leads to our eternal destiny. Yeah, and what we think um, is what saves us or doesn't save us. Right. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I'm, so I'm, I, is it okay if I dig a little bit? Yeah. I mean, in a uh, in a deeper sense, I don't know. I think I think a big part of that release valve was going maybe. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess is great news for all of humanity. Maybe that's actually what it meant. Yeah, maybe that's actually what it meant. And maybe we need to do our best and love each other. Yeah. And everything's going to be all right. I actually think there's a lot of of symmetry in what you're saying because Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Mm -hmm. He was asked, um, what do you think... Organizes yeah. everything else. Love so, the Lord your God with all your heart. And his answer was yeah. love, right? Right. His answer was actually that same kind of uh, world ending you're talking about, where every knee bows and every mm-hmm. tongue confesses. Um, and so yeah, what? And I think the scary thing is that the church, you know, that religion as a whole, who knows where this is going? Religion as a whole has been so much about behavior modification. Uh huh. That it's really scary to take out that biggest carrot. Mm. You know what I mean? Yep. That you can't control what your teenagers are going to do if they're not scared to death. Well, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Or not carrot, but maybe stick. Yeah. 
So kind of the thought process is what's in our heads determines our actions and our actions uh, are what makes us good or bad. And I want to ask you this. Did you have any point where you realized some people had all the right answers, but it actually didn't change their actions? Yeah, I mean, you can have all the right answers. And and if you think all you need is to to get an A on the test, yeah, then what you do with your life doesn't matter that much. I've met some people who know all the right answers and live in a pretty black and white world yeah. where there's always a right and always a wrong answer. And, and love doesn't enter into the equation all that much. Love doesn't enter the equation. Love for themselves or others. Yeah. They're pretty I, hard on themselves. I also know that if I eat grilled chicken and vegetables and stop drinking sodas and eating ice cream, that that would be better for my body. <laughs> so you're not saying you're having this realization that there are no answers, you're you're nihilist, and uh, this yeah. is all random. And and part of you know the pushback that you get from some people when you talk about that is that like, well, then what's the point okay. of following Jesus? And my answer is that like I. I think this is the only way okay. to a good life. Okay. I I genuinely think it to give is to better is better to receive. To love your enemies is mm-hmm. better than to hate. Mm-hmm. And that if you're gonna be happy, yeah, then uh, you can't be afraid. Hmm. So what I hear you saying is the thing that you've taken away is not that there are no answers, mm-hmm. and not that like. Your, your mental models don't somehow define your reality. Yeah. They do. Otherwise, you wouldn't uh, have been pulling from the Sermon on the Mount and saying that's actually the, maybe the, the way to construct the best life possible. Yeah. Uh, but that you have deconstructed that there's always a black and white in every situation in life. Right. And that um, it's maybe even not a goal Yeah. to always have the right answer on everything. Sure. And, you know, and the only... The only thing that's black and white is like, is this a loving way to treat somebody huh. or is this not a loving way to treat somebody? Yeah. All right, Matt, ask me what I'm deconstructing. What are you deconstructing, David? Um, Let's see if we can get fired today. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, uh, what am I, I want to answer what I'm deconstructing right now. I could talk really easily about times of deconstruction that I've gone through and, and maybe there be, might be, be another time for that, but I want to talk about what I'm deconstructing right now. And so I might awkwardly stumble through this. I am deconstructing my own significance. Sure. Uh, I have believed implicitly, right? So it's not like I like have written this down and it's on my, uh, my goals board or whatever. Um, my, what is it? Vision board? Is that what people call it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have it on, I don't have a vision board, but this is never overt. It's an implicit thing that I believed that I needed to prove my worth to God mm-hmm. in order to please God. Yeah. Uh, I I talked to teenagers for 10 years in full-time student ministry about how they can't earn God's love. They can't do anything to make even the people in their student ministry make them not love them. And yeah. I don't think I ever believed that for myself. And so I am deconstructing the idea that of the I'm deconstructing the idea of significance. Yeah. And the question I'm living with right now is will it be enough for God if I just love the people God's put in my life well? Yeah. Um as church declines, as I'm in the role I'm in, um, 
you know, you, you kind of see the ministers that are um, drawing people in. And they're people that are on Twitter. They're people that are um, really putting their name out there. And that their name branding helps the church. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not wanting to be critical of that. That's not who I am. Yeah. But sometimes it's like, man, have I really ever done anything of any significance to to um, to matter, I guess? And um, I am trying to deconstruct that. I'm trying to step into a relationship with God where being present with the God, the, yeah. pe- the people that God puts in my life, is the most important thing. There are people whose names do not need to be named right now who were heroes to their congregations, heroes to their traditions, and strangers to their children. I'm writing them down and you tell me. Just say yes. Him. Him. Okay. Not her. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I, you know, that's clear to me that if I'm a stranger to my children, I've failed. Yeah. Um, So I'm always going to default there. But... uh, What's the balance between working really, really hard for something you feel like matters? Because I feel like the church matters. Yeah, me too. And um, forgetting that church isn't actually about me yeah. and about my ego. And I have hid, I think, I've hid sometimes behind the, um, I don't want to be a phony. And that kept myself from actually putting myself out there and yeah. doing something that matters. And then I can get in a circular and be like, but I, yeah, I don't. Does God need me to be great? Yeah. If we believe the kingdom of God's never in trouble, does God need me to be great? Right. And I think that's a, something that I run into too as a as a middle-aged white guy with a little bit of a savior complex mm. is the church doesn't God doesn't need me to save the church. Mm-hmm. God doesn't need me to In fact, I can't. Okay, Matt, so here's the second question. Um it's not a mirror image of the first one. The first one's what are you deconstructing? The second question is a little bit different. When have you experienced the kingdom of God come near? And how do you want to use that an experience like that to reconstruct? Mm. Let's see. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you one story uh, about a time when I was. You know, sometimes we choose to deconstruct, mm-hmm. and sometimes our lives just kind of put us in that place. Totally. Uh, and so, gosh, maybe 12 years ago, 13 years ago, yeah, maybe at least 13 years ago, we were uh, we were in one of those. It was just a hard time for our family. Like Christine was mm-hmm. sick. She, we didn't, there wasn't a light at the end of the tunnel at that point, uh, as far as like when is our life going to get back to some kind of a normal? Yeah. And people were telling me all the time how much they were praying for me, Yeah, praying for her. I knew I was, you know, especially in nights when she was really hurting and I was praying and yeah, it just seemed to get worse. It just yeah. seemed to keep getting worse. The hole just kept seeming to get darker and deeper. Yeah. And, uh, and one thing piled on top of another and eventually hearing everybody talk about how much they were praying, hearing about how growing up knowing prayer works and if yeah. you, faith of a mustard seed and right. prayers of a righteous man and all these things and just nothing was getting better. Yeah. That it started to feel like, okay, either I feel like either you're not there right. or you don't care. 
Right. Those seem to be the only things I'm left with. Neither one of them's good. Neither one of them's good. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I look back and like hanging by a thread. Everything's about to fall apart. Everything's. I I had been I had been sold this kind of thing of what Christianity was growing up, and who God is, and they just weren't lining up. It it really kind of actually sounds like the answer to the first question is, if I if I know everything right, it should be working. Nothing will ever. I'm plugging fall apart. all the right things into yeah. this formula, and and now I and, know the right answers, and everything's falling apart. Yeah, yeah. And you're not who you said you were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so hanging hanging by a thread and working at a church at yeah. the time, and so that adds another little layer of like, I need it to look like. I'm all, I'm all on board. Yeah. Even though I've, I you know don't feel like I am right now. Yeah. And uh, and people knew how hard a time it was for us. You know, we had two little kids and yeah. Uh, you know, we had family and we had people, a lot of people that loved us that helped us through that time. And you know, looking back, there's a lot of things that you can point to, but at the time, boy, I was drowning. Yeah. And Christine was drowning, and uh, and we just really. We're feeling bad about the way things were going. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it all culminates one day where like I'm on the way home and I get a speeding ticket, and it's just like the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh-huh. Like this cannot be happening. Right. I am trying to do things that are good. I'm working at a church, slaving away all these years. You're getting kicked while I'm down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm just. I rate. I'm just losing it. I'm just yeah. completely losing it. And I get back to work, and there's a, an envelope on my desk that just has my name on it. I open it up, and uh, inside it says, all it says is, God loves you. Yeah. And there's $200 in there. You know, about what a speeding ticket yeah. costs. About what yeah. it takes to get that deferred adjudication. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and like, I, I, I almost just completely broke down at my desk because, you know, who, like, yeah. Outrageous. Yeah. Um, and so it was like from then I felt like uh, I felt like, okay, somebody's got my back. Like there's a there's bigger things happening. You know, and that's a story for me. Like not everybody gets a story like that. Yeah. And it turns out that there's just there were some sweet ladies in my office yeah. who saw that like it was a hard time for us and they Put together, you know, they all pitched in twenty bucks. Yeah, and um, and they had never knew how much it meant to me till years and years later when uh, I told that story like a devo or something. Yeah, I don't hear you saying like um, talking about it in the way some people talk about like miracles. Uh, you know, I prayed and I got the mm-hmm. parking spot I needed, but yeah. for you it was this small act of kindness. It was a small act of kindness, and it was one of those times that I thought. God works through the church. Mm. God works through the body of Christ. Wow. Um, and if you're willing to kind of follow a little prompt, you yeah. know, go, I think that person needs me to love them. Yeah. That sometimes that makes a ridiculous difference. Yeah. And I, I mean, not to be like an armchair psychologist, but again, I definitely see the mirroring of your first and second answers because where the answers failed, mm-hmm. having the right answers failed. Uh, a mustard seed form of kindness yeah. was actually enough to change like a trajectory for you. Yeah, for sure. And the like the answers just didn't hold up to that yeah. enough kindness. Like I I don't think it's an exaggeration to say like it was a faith saving 
wow. gesture. Wow. Well, thank God for those ladies. <laughs> yeah. Sweet ladies. Um, my story that I've been thinking about a lot lately um, is uh, I we were... We were driving, we've got two kids, we were driving to uh, the Hill Country actually for a church event and, um, you know, just the car, like just two kids in the car. And yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. You have <laughs> twice as many kids. And uh, I had lost my temper again. And instead of being kind and redirecting and patient or seeing what they really needed, you know, I, I, I don't know what I said, but I lost my temper and it wasn't okay. Yeah. Um, no one, no one was spanked. <laughs> there was no, it wasn't, you know, like, uh, anything, um, bordering on abusive or anything like that. But I felt, <laughs> I felt bad. Well, I just, I lost my temper again. And it's like, dude, they're four and six. Yeah. And why can't you be the adult in this car? Um, and I'm just so disappointed in myself, but still at the same time, so frustrated with them and couple, took a couple of deep breaths and just feeling really, really bad about myself and just started an apology. And I think it was one of those times where I'm like, okay, I don't want this to be just another apology. I want you guys to know, like, guys, I am, I got to tell you, and maybe I shouldn't have put this on them, but it led to something pretty cool. I said, guys, sometimes I'm worried that I'm going to lose my temper and it's just going to be the last time for you guys. And you're, you're not going to forgive me. Yeah. And my son, who was probably uh, six at the seven or six at the time, said, oh, dad, I'll always forgive you. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my gosh, that just little precious. It was it was from the mouth of God that like, OK, that is too good for me to receive, but I'm going to receive it. Yeah. And I'm going to hang on to it. And um, it's allowed me to forgive myself in other situations and I think there's something about really cool about forgiveness from somebody who has the authority to actually forgive you. Um, yeah. That is so freeing of like pain cycles or sin cycles. Because where I get is like I screw up, I feel terrible at myself, and then I think, well, what's what's a little bit more? Who cares? Yeah. Nothing matters. I get real cynical and in my pain, and I start thinking that what I do doesn't really matter, and so I want to do what I want. Um, and uh, and with that was able to do is like, no, actually like you're forgiven. And so you're, you're set free from that. Have I lost my temper with my kids again? Yes. <laughs> I have had to apologize to my kids again. Yes. And, um, but I, I, I hold on to that, that like, and so, okay, what's that? What do I, am I building back on that? Um, I think where that was the kingdom of God for me is, um, I guess it kind of goes back to my, my loss of myself, my loss of my ego. Like to be, to have screwed up towards someone else, to have really messed up and for them to have the ability to forgive and to forgive kind of kills your ego. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I can't, I'm actually not in charge of the way you see me. You see me exactly as I am. Yeah. And you forgive me and you love me and... Again, I guess that goes back to like the being present, like the the point of my life might actually to be just fully in my life and not angry all the time because people aren't doing what I want them to do. Yeah. But like the forgiveness allows me to be present and available and loving to them. And I just, I'm, I'm grateful for him to 
to have those words that, you know, he, oh, dad, let's not even, don't worry about it, dad. I'm always going to forgive you. Yeah. That, That's so sweet. It is. That's one of those things about kids is they can be an absolute nightmare <laughs> and they can be so ridiculously sweet and little, little channels of oh my gosh. the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. And just such like, we don't want to train out their, their mysticism. Yeah. Yeah. They they're connected with God in some in some crazy ways. Yeah, yeah it was a oh Jesus, grace. golly, this amateur hour. Right when it Speaking mattered, of kids. Speaking of kids, you got to okay. Well, we're at a good stopping point. What do you want to say, Matt? This is a this is a tricky subject. Yeah, and it's a scary subject. It's a scary subject for a lot of people who've grown up in church and have lived and have dedicated their lives to church. Yeah. It's a scary subject for people who are employed by a church. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's to take something that's so important. I mean, and I think undeniably it's, it's really important to both of us. Yeah. Both our relationship with God, mm-hmm. our understanding of who God is, our participation and, leading of a church body mm-hmm. uh it's really important to us and it's really scary to kind of open it up and go okay what in here is important right what in here needs to stay and what in here is yeah. is gunking up the system yeah i think maybe even before we started doing this i thought uh deconstruction was something that's really kind of happening in our heads and i think it is but also i think i've become aware like how close we hold our deconstruction stories to our to our hearts, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, it's it's important. It's tender and also beautiful and lovely, yeah, and scary all at the same time. Yeah, it's easy in my to continue my metaphor, which I love metaphors. Mm. It's easy to feel like we're a mechanic, mm-hmm. and it's important to remember that we're not. You know what I mean? Like we can't break this. Oh yeah, okay. We can't, and we can't fix it. Matt, do you realize that was both a metaphor and a paradox? Amazing. You are an enigma shrouded in a mystery. Wrapped up in a riddle. Wrapped up in a riddle, <laughs> surrounded by a dream. Perfect. <laughs> and I'm glad we ended on a silly note. That's my brand. That's my Twitter brand. You never know what I'm going to talk about. And somebody's here. Someone's knocking. All right.